Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McKay. And we're here with our good friend Donald Moore, who is one of the leaders in our community on healthcare. Um, he's been on our show before, and we asked him to come back because he's got some really great things that he's done in the last few years, uh, a, a really interesting project that's a game changer really for the communities in Southern Colorado with regard to access to healthcare and how to build the clinics and how to do all those things. So we wanted to have him back. Um, but I wanted to kind of give you a shout out. You were one of the leaders in the community that had to make some tough decisions during the pandemic and you did this project while we were there. So I just, we wanted to have him back and talk about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Senator Hickenlooper was here and so I got to go over and see the facility, but it's really, really very cool. So, um, Donald, can you tell us a little bit, uh, background for people who may have not heard your other, um, the other episode with you about how you came to Pueblo and how you got into the, this healthcare where you're and, one of the big drivers. And to be fair, that was, I think, one of our first episodes before we found our way. And, you know, it was the more, <laughs> oh, yeah, the we, more like, no, yeah, hello, don't go back how are you to doing it. today? Yeah. What uh, can you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I was one of the first two or three yeah, that you did. Yeah. I was the guinea pig. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me here. I, I love uh, telling the community health center story. Um, I've I've been in Pueblo since 1999 with the Pueblo Community Health Center the whole time, and um, I've been been its CEO since 2009. And um, you know, healthcare is something that if a community wants a good quality of life, you have to have good access and good quality care. So I've been involved in that since um, 1999 here in Pueblo. And um, the need for healthcare just just seems to have grown year over year during my time here. And I think there's uh, several reasons for that. Um, one, um, our population in Pueblo, Colorado, and the country just in general is aging. Mm-hmm. And as people get older, they rely more on the healthcare system. So that's increasing demand. Um, Pueblo has a high rate of chronic disease. And unfortunately, we have a higher percentage of poverty and uh, lower incomes. And that contributes to um, higher rates of disease, unfortunately. So that that's a driver of, of demand. Um, we've also seen um, expansions in coverage through the private market as well as governmental coverage. And when people have coverage, they're able to access care um, more readily and that increases demand. And then finally, um, and I think this is a good trend, there's a greater recognition and understanding of how important prevention and primary care is. And that's what public community health center does. We're not a hospital. We don't do traumas and kidney transplants. We are your family doctor. We're the place you go to get your kids shots, um, 
prenatal care and to help people um, attain health and maintain health so that you prevent high costs down the road or unnecessary disease. That's really what our mission is, is to make sure people have access to that care. So if you think about the increasing demand that I talked about, um, Pueblo needs more access to uh, services that are in the prevention and the primary care arena so that we're not spending uh, tax dollars and private dollars on avoidable costs in the future. So that's a big role that we have. Um, And so the reason that we ventured out to build our new clinic on the east side is um, we, we had a clinic on the east side called Park Hill Clinic, opened in 2003. So we're not new to the east side, um, which is a disadvantaged part of our community, highest concentration of poverty. Um, We've been there since 2003. But in about 2017, before the pandemic, we were pinched for space. Um, the, The building was antiquated. It wasn't modern. It wasn't efficient. So we started a planning process and keep this keep this uh, concise. Um, in, in 2019, we were able to acquire a very large piece of property on the east side that was uh, a perfect location for expansion. And so we, we entered into this master planning process to build a new facility. And um, then the pandemic hit in 2020. But we, were, we had our plan in place. Um, these trends driving healthcare we knew we're going to continue decades into the future. We felt like we had a good plan. It was a good idea in 2017 when we started planning. It remained a good idea in 2020 when the pandemic started. And our board made a really courageous decision to move forward with the construction, despite all the uncertainty of the, of the pandemic. And, and um, you know, Lou Holtz, uh, said the definition of luck is when preparation bumps into opportunity. So we had done the preparation. We had this opportunity to move forward with our plan. Uh, the board decided and approved this $31 million project. And lo and behold, a year later, what happened? Supply chain problems, mm-hmm. a lack of contractors, et cetera. We avoided all of that by wow. having our plan in place, the um, sticking to our, our vision of expanded access to healthcare. And uh, we had our general contractor do a, an estimate of how much more expensive our project would have been if we would have waited. And they said it would have been at least $5 million more. Wow. Now we're a nonprofit organization and we had been saving money for like 10 years uh, to, to invest in this, in this new project. Um, I don't know that we would have been able to go forward if it would have been 5 million more dollars to, to, to do the project, but we went forward, we broke ground in October of 2020. We opened the facility January, 2022. And at this very moment, People are walking in and out of that clinic, receiving preventative and primary health care from health care providers that they trust. And how many people do you serve just in the Pueblo area? If you look back uh, two years, uh, about 30,000 people have um, come and, and received at least one service from us in the last two years. In the last uh 12 months or in the last year, that number is about 25,000. It's about one out of seven residents of Pueblo County 
uh, getting close to one out of six. And the the health center network, it's very important to the Action 22 region because that these health centers, they provide health care to the rural areas more yeah. so where, where we don't have anything, basically. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because um, Pueblo Community Health Center is one of 20 community health centers in Colorado. And within the Action 22 area, um, in some communities, they are the mm-hmm. access to health care. It's not, they're not a choice among many. They are the access. There is a community health center in Lamar. Rocky Ford, Lahana, Trinidad. We have a location in Walsenburg where we do prenatal care. Um, the San Luis Valley, um, Canyon City, Salida all have community health center locations where people in need of preventative and primary health care from a trusted health care provider, they can go there and they're never turned away due to an inability mm-hmm. uh, to pay. We do receive some federal funding that allows us to offer the services, the patients pay an affordable co-payment, so they're invested in the cost of their care, but the grant uh, covers the dis- the difference between what the patient is af- can afford to pay and the cost of the care. So if I walk into the health center and I don't have insurance or I'm you know under the pro- poverty line, I am going to receive care. You're going to work that out for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our philosophy is let's get you into care. Let's, let's address your needs. And then we have a sliding scale and, and if needed payment plans to help people uh, afford the care. The other thing community health centers are really good at is there's actually a lot of programs at the state and federal level to, to gain coverage. And sometimes people just aren't aware that they're eligible. And so we educate them. We even help them enroll. And, um, um, a lot of our, Clients are, uh, have Medicaid coverage, which is um, paid half by the state and half by the federal government, and it's through tax dollars. Um, Medicaid used to be um, a program only for the poorest and the disabled um, women and children. Um, that program has really been transformed, and now um, I saw a statistic in Colorado like seven or eight out of 10 people on Medicaid, they're working. Mm-hmm. They're just in low income jobs. They might not have coverage or they're, or, and, and they're eligible for this. They're paying taxes. They're helping to fund the system. They get the coverage. They can access the care from us. So um, yeah, we don't turn anybody away due to an inability to pay. Now, sometimes we have to put limits on the mm-hmm. number of patients we can bring in. But once you're in, we have a relationship with you and you're going to get the care that you need. Yeah. And that's really important too the preventative care, because traditionally if I don't have insurance um, and I, I'm lower income, I just sit on it and then I get really sick and I go to the ER, yeah. which drives up costs for everybody. We've had this discussion yeah. before, you know, insurance costs, um, yeah. hits the hospital, everything. So this, that's why this is very important. Yep. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about this facility. This is one of, it's not unique in the country, but it's unique here in Colorado. It's sort of a flagship for what uh, facilities should be looking like in the future. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so stoked to be able to talk about this because uh, I think that our project on the east side is really going to be a showcase for uh, Pueblo um, and even the state of Colorado. And the reason that is, in addition, to, well, let me back up. The, the Park Hill Clinic from which we moved was about 15,000 square feet. And we, we had capacity to serve about 8,000 people in that clinic. And as I said, we were 
at max capacity. We couldn't serve any more people. Our new facility is 64,000 square feet, and we project that we could serve up to around 24,000 people there. So really triple our capacity. And and if you kind of think about the next 20 to 30 years and the needs that our community is going to have, um, it, it's a vital resource, uh, for, for Pueblo. But, um, in addition to achieving our primary mission of access to uh, primary care, um, our board incorporated a very unique uh, element in the design of the facility and made that part of the vision. And that unique element was a net zero energy uh, design. Net zero energy design means that the building will will produce more energy than it consumes on an annual basis. And um, what's important about that is uh, several things. Um, one um, is that um, how, how do I want to phrase this? There's a lo- there's lots of different ideas about climate change, but one thing's for sure is the cost of energy is going up and up and up. And um, carbon emissions um, seem to be contributing to a warming climate. Okay, um, if if you accept that premise, then then the goal would be to reduce carbon emissions. Net zero energy buildings accomplish that goal. the The other thing that's important about the element is. Uh, I think it was in 2015, the Pueblo City Council and the Pueblo County Board of County Commissioners um, adopted um, what they call resolutions mm-hmm. that Pueblo County would be a leader in renewable energy use and development. And by 2035, we would be running the the county's economy on renewable energy, not only from like a environmental stewardship standpoint, but from an economic right. development standpoint. And, um, and so we wanted to, we're the Pueblo Community Health Center, so we wanted to dovetail into the community vision as well. Um, and then finally, um, um, the, the vision for this came about when we have a doctor on our board. And one day he brought me an article from the New England Journal of Medicine, and it provided a lot of evidence about how the, the warming of the planet was contributing to communicable diseases and declines in in um, community health. Well, we're, the, we're a community health center. We're supposed to be contributing to community health. And, and he just said, what if we use this project as a demonstration of how you can do a cost-effective, energy-responsible facility? And, and I'll be honest, when he first brought it to me, I was just like, oh, man, that's a, a lot. That's a lot. That's a, that's a lot to tackle. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to look into it because the board's asking me to do it and I work for the board. And, you know, um, I, we, we took a cost benefit approach. I mean, we're not just going to throw money at something to, you know, to have a tagline. We, we wanted to make sure there was an actual benefit um, to the, to the cost Mm -hmm. and, uh, make a long story short, as we worked with the engineers and the architects, we found out that for a a very, um, modest marginal cost to the project, we could actually achieve a lot of benefits. And I'd be glad to go into that if, if if you want to Okay. Because this is, and this is where Colorado's going both incentive wise and 
mandated to a point. I think this is going to yeah. be the, the, the mandate from the state and local government. So we're curious to hear how that worked and yeah. how you fit that in. Yeah, I, I agree with how you frame that. Um, well, no one was requiring us to do us. This was this really came out of the board's aspiration to set an example for the community. Um, you know, a project like this um, for, a, for a local nonprofit, it, it's a once in a generation project. Right. You don't get a chance to do something like this very often. So our board was pretty jazzed and wanted to go big on this project, both in terms of our access to care and um, this net zero design. So um, a couple of figures here. Um, the, the, so anytime you build a building, the, 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 the municipal codes tell you the minimum standard you have to meet to build a building. Okay. So if, if you compare what the, what the code requires to what we did above and beyond that, um, it added about 7% to the total cost of our project. Um, little about is about $1.1 million more um, than if we said, no, we're not doing that. We're just going to do the minimum. So, I mean, 1.1, $1.2 million, it's a lot of money, but it was only 7% of the total project costs. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about a building that's going to be in service for 50 years or more, um, it's a, it's a big upfront cost, but if you amortize that over the the life of the building and the th- tens of thousands of people you're going to serve, and um, it, it's a pretty good pretty good investment. So um, the um, cost um, we were able to that upfront cost we were able to fund through fundraising some of our own cash and and we got new market tax credits also to finance the entire project. Uh, but it uh, enabled us to do that net zero design. Now, um, as a basis of comparison for cost effectiveness, we have a 47,000 square foot building called the Colorado Avenue Clinic over on the Mesa Junction. And uh, that uh, building, uh, our new building, the east side building, is one third larger at 64,000 square foot. Mm -hmm. Our utility bills at the Eastside Clinic are 25% of the wow. utility bills at our Colorado Avenue Clinic. And we have a 50 kilowatt photovoltaic system on the roof of that building as well. We, before we started construction, we conservatively projected that we could um, pay back that that upfront investment in the net zero energy design uh, in about 11 or 12 years. Now that we have six months of operating da- data, we've revised that estimate to about seven to eight years because the the energy savings is outperforming the engineers' projections. Wow. Engineers are like super conservative, yeah. you know, uh, and they're just trying to keep you safe and, and making sure that your money's going to good use. So just with six months of data, we're seeing... Um, First of all, we're operating on a net zero basis. In January, February, and in March, we had to draw from the grid because it was winter. Yeah, you don't generate as much solar power. You're running your heating all the time. But in April, May, and June, we have been um, all electricity has been coming from our solar wow. power system, and in in and in the recent months. We're generating more than we need, which which gets goes back to the grid, and then we get a credit for that. So, on a, we're we're totally on pace to be 
net zero um, certified after a year. The, um, there, we are the first facility in Colorado with a net zero design. We're one of ten nationally with in the healthcare industry. I should qualify that. Not there's tons of net zero buildings, but in the healthcare industry, we're the first in Colorado. And we're one of 10 nationally. Of the 10 nationally, none of them are certified yet. And the way that you become certified is you you operate your building for a year. You collect the data on how much you generate versus what you use. You turn it into a uh, this national organization that, uh, that tracks these things. And then um, you, you become certified. So PCHC in little old Pueblo, Colorado, we literally have the chance to be the first in the country to operate a net zero energy facility in the healthcare sector. That's really cool. That's amazing. When you're talking about this, I'm just thinking to myself um, a couple things. One, that it's volu- that you did this voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so when you did this voluntarily, you were it was above the mark. So this is they said this is the minimum, and voluntarily you did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also wondering if it can be a model as far as funding um, for things like this. If other projects want to move forward, yeah. if you're um, using a fund, there's funding should go to these kinds of yeah. projects and, and make them voluntary and say, if you voluntarily do this, we'll do this. Yeah. That's amazing. This is groundbreaking yeah, kind I, of stuff. I, I think so. Th- thanks for saying it that way. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things I love about working for a nonprofit is your work is like it's community benefit and it's aspirational. And what I liked about this project is the board said, Hey, let's, let's, Let's see if we can do this. This is our aspiration. Let's see if we can do it. And then as an administrator, I work with my business, my, my team and we made a business case for it and we made sure that it would be economically viable because it's great to have aspirations, but if you can't sustain it over the long run, then it's just an aspiration. So, um, you know, what we learned is if you can, um, access the capital needed to make the upfront investment, you can, there's an economic case, there's a business case for the payback on it. In addition, you're lowering pollution. Okay. And whether you believe in, (laughs) in global warming or not, like I would like to live in a community with less pollution. I'm I'm for that. (laughs) You know, I mean, everybody kind of understands that that pollution's not good for health, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, there's a lot of ways to buy into this. There's an economic argument. There's a health argument. There's an environmental stewardship argument. I mean, pick, pick the benefit that speaks to you the most, but there, there are benefits to doing this. So, well, let me say, let me add one more benefit that I want you to talk about and get into is the location of this. Yeah. Um, our, our location is on the East side of Pueblo, um, we are the only healthcare resource in that part of our town. Uh, we offer medical, mental health, dental, lab, pharmacy, um, pretty much anything you would find at a family doctor's office, plus some additional services. We offer that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's the highest concentration of poverty. Um, the the City of Pueblo recently designated the East Side as an urban renewal district, mm-hmm. which means there's a formal acknowledgement of blight and underutilized properties mm-hmm. and and that it, um, it it's basically the community saying we want to redevelop and reinvigorate this this neighborhood and and our Eastside clinic is literally 
at the middle of that renewal district. So um, we currently employ about 50 employees at that site with um, as we grow we'll have up to 150 employees and these are really good jobs with benefits. I mean, we're talking about doctors, nurses, pharmacists, medical assistants, laboratory personnel, social workers. Um, these are people earning a, a decent wage who, who will be commuting to and from the East side. Some of our employees live on the East side. So really the key to getting the East side reinvigorated is to get more economic activity going mm-hmm. on in there. And um, over the last, uh, you know, 20 years, you've, you've seen the library open up a branch mm-hmm. in that area. Um, we have located our facility in that area and we could have moved to another right. part of the community. We could probably go to, gotten cheaper land, but our board is pretty committed to staying reinvested in that community because of the healthcare access, but the opportunity to revitalize the neighborhood as well. Mm-hmm. But we got to get, we got to get business and commercial interests in there. We need to get private investment on the East side. We, we need to give people a reason to want to go to the East side. Um, a lot of the properties on the East side aren't owner occupied. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, their income properties, their rental properties. Um, and so um, we don't even have a coffee shop on the east side. I mean, there's coffee shops yeah. everywhere in Pueblo, O'Brien, but we don't have a coffee shop on the east side. Why is that? Because no one's going to open a coffee shop where there's not activity yeah. and a civic, you know, activity going on. So maybe, hopefully, you know, what the library's done, what we've done, um, will spark some of that change. Mm-hmm. Urban renewal is going to start addressing br- blight and um, trying to attract commercial investment in the area. So I don't know. We, we'll have to do another show in 20 years to see yeah. if any of this pans out. Well, well we, we need a, a grocery store on the east side. That's a yeah. huge one. The, there's yeah. nothing over there yeah. at all. And I, yeah, I, I th- that's something we've talked about for years. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if that economic activity could get going again and people would re-migrate back into the neighborhood and own property, I think there, I think a grocery store would be, uh, I think a lot of people would be interested in putting a grocery store yeah. over there because there'd be a, there'd be a market to serve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, really quick, I was also thinking you were talking about your board. Um, we also have an aspirational board that does that. Says, so let's see what we can do. That is kind of a rare thing. It takes an amount of bravery to do this mm-hmm. kind of a project for a board. Will you give a shout out to who is on your board of directors? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I uh, hope I can remember everyone. <laughs> well, it, um, our board of directors are all volunteers. They're people that donate their time to oversee the mission of the community health center and to make sure that all of our money, all of our buildings, everything we do goes to that purpose, that community benefit. That's the reason we exist. And um, gosh, we have a great board. Another thing about our board is the majority of our board members are patients, active patients of the clinic. They, we are there primary care home. We're the place they trust for their health care needs. And right now we have 10 board members and six of them are patients of the health center. So let me see if I can do this. Our board president is Don Ortega, patient of the health center. He's the uh, local market president for Premier Credit Union. Um, he's, he's, I'm proud to uh, have him as a patient. Uh, Linda Rickoff is a retired uh, RN 
and she's our past president. Uh, Yesenia Beascochea is a patient of the health center. She works for the Center for Health Progress, been a longtime patient and uh, a community activist mm-hmm. and, and patient advocate. Proud to have her on the board. Um, Steve Shirley, he's the chief information officer at Parkview Medical Center. Mm-hmm. He's getting ready to retire at the end of the month. Um, he's on our board. He's currently our treasurer. And uh, finally, um, who am I leaving off? <laughs> chair, vice chair, secretary, treasurer. Oh, um, of course. Our president-elect is Dr. Louis Balazé. He's a retired oncologist. And he is actually the doctor that came to visit me in, in, uh, in, t- in 2018 and said, look at this New England Journal medicine article. <laughs> says we got to... And, and he, he kind of asked us to look into this net zero energy design and, and to make it a showcase. So he gets, he gets the credit for bringing the idea to me and to the board. But the, the board collectively said, yeah, let's try to pursue that. Um, uh, Shirley Cordova is a patient board member. She works for Centura. Arthur Yarbrough works at the state hospital. He's a patient board member. He's been on our board a long time. Um, Oh, gosh, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> um, um, I'll, I'll, if Donald I'll, has I'll, forgotten oh, Michael anybody. Michael Gage, oh, who is a, a, a student, student support uh, director at P- Public Community College. He's on our board and patient of the health center. Um, did I name 10 people yet? I feel like I'm leaving I someone off. <laughs> I wasn't counting. I'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but that just shows. So on your board, you have a lot of people that are involved with health care, that work in the healthcare mm-hmm. industry but they're patients as well yeah. and they may work for other providers, yeah. you know, so that that's just a testament to your care. And I, I remember uh, when we were touring it, you know, my, my wife and I became patients oh, at the right. health center and, and she went through all of her prenatal care. And yep. um, then we went over to St. Mary Corwin and then your wife was the nurse yeah. for my wife. Yeah. So it was yep. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. She and you guys had a healthy baby. Yep. Yep. We did. He's six now. And, and the, so I'm one of those guys that, uh, you have to basically <laughs> tie up and take to the doctor, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I was so impressed because when you went into the, the health center, it was very comfortable, very welcoming. Um, it, it was just a warm, friendly environment. And I'm glad to see the new building on the east side because I did go tour the other building. Mm-hmm. That was a little creepy in there. It was, yeah. uh, it, it was, it was old. Yeah, yeah. It, it was old, but that that's amazing. And, um, again, just thank you for like everything and, and providing that environment for people that would instead be sitting at home and go to the ER on Monday when they yeah. don't feel good. Yeah. When Senator Hickenlooper was down a few weeks ago um, and I was in that meeting, I think that my big takeaway was um, how you guys are making um, some game-changing decisions on access to health care. I think one of the things that we worried about, and you touched on it just a little bit, would you give us some specific um, stories or specific things that have happened that have really indicated to you and to your board and to everybody you serve how you're increasing access to health care? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think one of the main things we've done to increase access to health care is um, over the last 10 years, we have um, integrated behavioral health and mental health and substance abuse treatment into the the medical care setting. We just refer to it as primary care. Ten years ago, primary care was 
pretty much thought of as medical services. Mm -hmm. Primary care now has really become um, more integrated, and there's recognition across the health system more and more that that you need to take care of the whole person. You need to be able to address their medical their uh, their mental and behavioral health issues, and even their oral health issues. Mm-hmm. So when we designed the clinic, we made sure all of those services were located in that facility. And so uh, if a client comes in for a medical issue, but it really turns out that the underlying problems have to do with mental health or, or periodontal disease even, they don't have to go somewhere else. They can continue to access those services through their relationship with Pueblo Community Health Center. Um, just generically speaking, um, it, it's a pretty sad statistic, and, and I'm not going to remember it exactly, but um, most people who take their own life um, through suicide have had a visit with their primary care provider um, in the previous six months. And it's 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 um, so being able to offer mental health screening or making it easy to access in a, in your doctor's office, so to speak, mm-hmm. is a way to expand access to, to mental health care. Okay, and so um, our our goal isn't just more people getting medical care; it's more people having access to all of the continuum of care that really contributes to um, whole health. Um, we have a pharmacy on site. I, that that's a unique feature of of our program. Um, um, our patients can go to any pharmacy in town. They can go to Walgreens, Albertson, Safeway, but we do have a pharmacy on site, um, primarily for patients who don't have any coverage and don't have anywhere else to go. But we, we serve all of our patients if they choose to, to use our pharmacy as well. So um, the other thing I think we do that promotes access is we have staff called navigators and case managers because we don't provide everything in the healthcare mm-hmm. system. Sometimes people need specialty care or services out in the community. And um, um, our, our navigators will help those help our patients access those services, um, educate them on how to use them properly, when to use them, um, how to prepare for the visit so that they get what they need out of the visit. So those are some examples. I like that you brought up the point of um, mental health care is health care because I was at, uh, I'll take my Action 22 hat off and put on my UVC hat. Um, we were having a discussion with some VA issues and clinic possible mm-hmm. closures and that whole yeah. mess, which looking at the VA, dental is part of healthcare. <laughs> like, that's the big one. And if on-site pharmacy is a good thing, VA, now they <laughs> send them out. And anyway, um, they were asking what the, the five big issues were with uh, veteran care. And also it ties into rural healthcare as well. But I said healthcare and I, I listed off the other things and they said, well, what about mental health? I'm like, no, that's part of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of like, no, that's separate. I'm like, no, that's part of healthcare. Yeah. And actually the VA, they're really good at that. They, they recognize that now, but there's still that stigma out there that mental health is separate from going to your primary care. And I appreciate that the VA is really tying that into their, yeah. their healthcare now. It, it's a, it's a national trend. I mean, those mental health care and medical care, physical health care, those are just becoming yeah. more and more integrated. And, you know, the, um, sometimes it can be uh, intimidating to ask for mental health care. Mm-hmm. But if you have a trusting relationship with your primary care provider, 
you get get in the exam room. It's just you and your trusted provider, and you can disclose these things mm-hmm. and and not feel like you, you know, are gonna have a scarlet letter. Yeah, you know, yeah. labeled on you, and 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 primary care providers are just uh, they're gifted at having the conversation to say, hey, it, it it's okay. Like lots of people have the same deal you have, and there's there's really proven ways to to help mm-hmm. you, and um and so I, I consider that increased access. It's not necessarily another patient that we're counting in yeah. our statistics. But it's a patient who's who's now educated and understands that their their total health is dependent on more than just you know your blood pressure. Yeah, yeah. It, it 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 really has to do with your mental well being as and, well. And that ties even going to blood pressure. I mean, that ties into your mental well being. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a friend that's a primary care doctor, and one thing he talks to his, his patients, he's like, "Well, how are you sleeping? If he notices mm-hmm. things." And that's kind of his way in, like, you're not getting a lot of sleep. How come? Like, yeah. what's going on? Well, maybe you should talk to, you know, Dr. So-and-so over here about yeah. this. And that's how he kind of sneaks it in versus that person probably not going anywhere to seek help from that. Yeah. Just, I can't sleep. A lot of times the conversation with patients start off with like, you know, I just haven't been feeling good, but yeah. they can't really like put a finger on a specific symptom or problem. They're just like, you know, I'm just, I just feel off. Or, yeah. and, and one of the questions that a patient will be asked by the primary care f- provider is, do you still engage in activities that, that um, are fun? Yeah. Like, do you still do the things that, that you're jazzed about? And, and sometimes people say, no, I don't, I don't ride my bike anymore. I don't go fishing anymore, yeah, but I used to go fishing all the time and loved it, but I just don't, you know, I just don't feel like going fishing anymore. Yeah. Th- that doesn't mean you're mentally ill, yeah. but it is, it is a signal to ask more questions and investigate like, Hey, what's going on? And, and maybe they're suffer- having some short-term depression, you know, or they've had a, an event in their life that's kind of pushed them down or crushed them a little bit. And they, and they just need, they just need um, a little bit of help and support to get back to baseline, so to speak. <laughs> and coming out of a two year pandemic, we saw that, yeah. that especially with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. an issue. And, and I'm glad that they're recognizing that now. So, yeah. Well, and when you talk about um, symptoms of other things, I think, uh, back in the day where the family doctor took care of all of those things and was paying attention, that's this is the evolution of that, what you're describing um, on that side of it. Um, I'm curious, as you were going through this entire process, um, outside of, of your board and your group, what kind of um, support did you get from uh, the community leadership or others as you're doing this very innovative project that in my opinion, checks every box of what we want this to look like in the future. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the support was really amazing real quick. I remembered our newest board member, uh, (laughs) pastor Tracy Phillips. I don't know if you know, do you know, do you know pastor Tracy? He, his first board meeting was literally this month. He's a patient of the health center. The way he found us when he moved to the community, I I don't think he'll mind me mentioning this because he talks openly about it. He, he he had a stroke about 10 years ago and he was uninsured he landed in parkview and um he didn't have a regular and usual source of care and parkview got him into pchc our our park hill clinic 
And um, he will tell you that uh, Parkview and Public Community Health Center saved his life. Mm. That's, That's awesome. Uh, helped him recover from that stroke. He is a pastor on the east side. He lives on the east side. He serves the people of the east side. And uh, he's one of our patients. He just joined our board because he sees the opportunity to serve on our board as as really kind of an extension of his ministry. And, yeah. and, and you know to give back and to help his people get connected to resources. So we're really proud to have him. He's from East Texas and he's got a draw mm-hmm. that can prove it. Um, it's been good to get to know him, but anyways, um, to, to get back to your, your question, um, Remind me the question. Oh, I was just going to say, just the <laughs> kind of, track. you know, you have your group, but outside oh, the group the community and support. community support, who was, <clears throat> give some shout outs to the community outside of, of what you did to help get this done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, we've, we've, um, I mean, the moral support from the community has been tremendous. I mean, uh, first of all, the the property we bought was the former Safeway grocery store on the yeah. east side. Um, Albertsons, which owns Safeway, announced in I think it was like October first of twenty sixteen mm-hmm. that they were shutting the doors on November first, twenty sixteen. There yep. was a very short period of time um, of notice, and then it got boarded up the first of November, and that that sent the community reeling. Mm-hmm. It sent the community reeling, and um, over time, it was clear um, Larry Atencio wore out a lot of shoe leather trying to find another grocery operator to come into the community and take over that property, and um, no one no one wanted to do it. I'm kind of doubtful that Albertsons would have sold it to another grocery store operator because if you look at what they've done over the last 10 years, they closed the store on 29th, yeah. and they closed the store down on Prairie, the grocery warehouse. And so I don't know that they would have been interested in allowing another competitor into the market. I don't know that for sure. That's my conjecture. But anyways, it got to a point where it was pretty clear that a grocery store wasn't coming in. Well, we needed to expand. The property is literally two blocks from our Park Hill Clinic. And um, um, when we investigated that um, opportunity, we went to the community, went to Larry Atencio. um, We went to the county commissioners. We went to the East uh, Neighborhood um, Advocacy Group. And just long story short, um, people were sad that we couldn't have a grocery store, but we got um, tremendous support for acquiring that property, even though it wouldn't be a grocery store, because they saw what we've done on um, the Mesa Junction with the quality of that facility. They know that healthcare is an important um, resource for quality of life in a community, and we got that support. And really what that support meant is when when it was time to – um, you know, get our zoning, get our permits. Everyone was really kind of behind this vision of a larger healthcare facility on the east side located in that in, in that area. So um, that's what I mean by moral support is yeah. people were pretty, they were like, go PCHC. We, we, you've, you've got credibility and we want to see you do more of what you do best. So that was great. Financially speaking, um, it's, it's been great. Um, we uh, received a commitment of a half a million dollars from Pueblo County, the Board of County Commissioners, 
So we're grateful for that. Um, we received a large donation from Parkview Medical Center as a part of our capital campaign. Um, the contractor that did all the um, computer cabling in our building, KBL is, is the name of that company, uh, they donated they donated the cost of their subcontract oh, wow. to the project really? and did it in kind. And I think, I think it was around $125,000 wow. value. So um, we're grateful for, for that company stepping up. And then, you know, we, our capital campaign was um, um, uh, $3.3 million of the, so it was about 10% of the total cost. Um, we received, um, a million dollar grant from the Colorado Health Foundation, a private philanthropic organization. Uh, we received uh, money from the Colorado Trust. Um, various other, uh, the Rawlings Foundation mm-hmm. gave us a nice uh, donation. Um, we had, I think, 40% of our employees do a payroll deduction and contribute to the campaign. Wow. 100% of our board members and our foundation board members contributed to the campaign. So, um, like, a lot of varieties of sources uh, uh, added up. And I think we're still fundraising, so if you're out there and you want to donate, um, yeah. give me a call. <laughs> Go to our website, PuebloCAC.org. There's a capital campaign link on there. But um, we probably invested $12 million of our own money just in – the development costs and um, the uh, acquisition of the property and our contribution towards the, towards the project. So, um, you know, roughly speaking, we've, we financed about a third, we invested about a third of our own money and we're raising about, about a third of it. So, yeah. Um, the, um, trying to think of other sources of support, um, well, I, I think everybody I think supported it. I, um, <laughs> I don't. I don't. There was not a single naysayer that I could recall yeah. as you're expanding. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like I mean, healthcare is kind of like parks. Like, yeah. how can you be against a park? Yeah. Right. Or uh, I mean, it's just it's something a community has to have if you want to have a, a good quality of life. You know, you need good schools. You need good economic activity. You need good recreation. You need good healthcare. It's just part of the mix. Yeah, I think that's the number two factors. If you have kids at schools. If you're mm-hmm. going to move to a community, and then if you don't, or number two is healthcare. Yeah, uh, that, those are the two factors that will make or break somebody coming into your community, including yeah. businesses. That's important as well. Yeah, driving um, yeah. manufacturing and businesses, opening a business, opening a coffee shop on these. Yeah, side, you know that's a big part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, if you want, so say it one more time. If you want to donate or be a, a part of that, or if you're looking, if you're needing some health um, help on healthcare. Yeah. Well, you for both of those things, you can go to our website, and it's uh, PuebloCHC.org is our website. On that site, um, there's plenty of information about how to become a patient. The other way that you can become a patient is um, by calling 719-543-8711, or you can just walk into um, 110 East Route Avenue, and an enrollment representative can serve you on a walk-in basis as well. Um, So that's if you want to establish care with us. Um, We also... um, have access points in schools. So we have primary care clinics at Central High School, Centennial High School, East High School, Pueblo County, 
We have a clinic at Chavez Huerta uh, Preparatory Academy, K through 12. And we have a clinic at Pueblo Community College. So six school-based sites, we call them. Um, You do not have to be a student of those specific schools to get health care there. If you are a District 60 or District 70 student, whether you're in um, one of the, the, the district schools or a charter school, you can access care at any one of those sites. So you don't have to go to East High School to use the East High School clinic. You could go to the, what's the charter up there near CSU Pueblo now? Bella uh, Vida or? Yeah, I always forget. forget. I call it Bella View, Bella Vida. Something, so, yeah, yeah. I apologize yeah, to yeah, the I'm people that run too. that school for uh, mangling the name. But yeah, you can come to the East High School clinic if, if you need health care. Um, those were pretty much shuttered during the pandemic because yeah. remember the schools were remote or hybrid mm-hmm. and it was just it's just been crazy. But um, we're reinvigorating those clinics this year. Matter of fact, in a couple weeks we're doing a sports physical blitz. So all you volleyball and softball and football and you know anything that requires a physical access one of our clinics. Um, get your physical so that you can show up to practice on the first day with with no problems. But during the school year, um, I- any of those healthcare needs, you can go in there. That's a great access point. Yeah. Uh, also, um, one thing about our Pueblo Community College Clinic, we are the uh, uh, you know Pueblo Pueblo does a lot of things that are pretty innovative, and and I think one of the things we do that's innovative, we're we're the only community health center physically located on a college campus in Colorado that I know of. I know for a fact we're the only community health center in a community college setting. Um, You know, the larger schools, they run their own clinics. They don't need a community health center. But, yeah, Patty or Javik and and I got together about six years ago and said, hey, what if, if, you know – our students are your patients, and and your patients are the people we want to be our students. So let's collaborate. Um, we already have a clinic, but it's not full service. We'd like to really get it amped up. So, yeah, we moved in there in 2017, I think it was. Wow. And uh, yeah, I mean, and the uh, the students can attend the 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 employees, the family of the students can come in and access health care. We try to make it as easy as possible. Back to the capital campaign. Um, <laughs> on our website, there's a button that says East Side Expansion. You just click on it. We've got some cool uh, drone videos of the construction. We've got it very transparent. Um, what the impact and benefit to the community, it's all listed out there. So you know exactly what your money's going towards. <clears throat> um, and yeah, we'd be, we'd be glad to have uh, donations of any size, 25, 250, 2,500, you know, whatever you got, we're, or we'll put it to use. 2.5 million. 2.5 million would be <laughs> awesome. There you go. Yeah. So, so okay. So <laughs> as we're <laughs> wrapping this up, two very important questions about this. Um, the last concert you saw, and the next oh. one you're going to. The, wow, <laughs> so, so we that's, talk music a lot. Yeah, so. yeah. The last concert I saw was um, Sarah Evans at the um, – I was actually in Alexandria, Virginia, visiting my brother. We went to the Birchmere. It's, mm-hmm. it's a legendary music venue in Alexandria, Virginia. But um, let, let me lay this out for you, Brian. Next Wednesday, I'm going to the Goo Goo Dolls at Red Rocks. <laughs> Three days later, I'm going to Kenny Chesney at Mile High, 
And then and then the next ones after that, I'm seeing Steve Earle and the Dukes up in Boulder. Have you, wow. Do you remember them? Oh yeah, remember yeah. him from the '80s? Kind yep. of a he's he's great. <laughs> then then I'm seeing the Goo Dolls again in Buffalo, New York, their hometown in September. I got tickets to the Who in October, and then. Um, I just uh, Sarah Evans is coming to the Pueblo Memorial Hall on November third. Yeah. I'm going again. Going again. I'm going to wow. see my sweetheart Sarah twice in one year. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I I managed to score um, Smashing Pumpkins and James Addiction tickets in the front row at Ball Theater, like right up against the stage. Oh, I don't nice. know how I pulled that off. Uh, just the, they do like the raffle and yeah. you know click here. That's and, awesome. And like front row, which is awesome because in in high school, the first big concert I went to was Smashing Pumpkins, and I was in the front row. So it's, you know, 20 some years later, I'm going to be in the same spot. Well, uh, Echo and the Bunny Men are yeah. coming to Denver early <laughs> September. I'm, I haven't bought my tickets yet, but I'm pretty sure I'm going it's, to that. I think my wife and um, my teenage daughter are going <laughs> are to they? that. Are they? They're she, fantastic. Oh, yeah. She, she turned into. Uh, you know, Dad, your music sucks. <laughs> to like me catching her, listen to all the eighties yeah. new wave synth stuff that I like, and she loves Echo and but the Bunnymen. We missed. Uh, I think it was Tears for Fears came through with the B fifty twos, and we didn't yeah. even realize it happened until yeah. afterwards. We, um, I had Foo Fighter tickets, but they canceled their tour because of the death of the drummer. I was bummed out about that. Yeah, um, their epic band. I was looking forward to seeing them. But. Yeah. 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 Keep waiting for ACDC to announce one more world tour. I hear that. I hear they're scheming that up and it might happen. So I definitely, I would definitely check that out. If yeah, that I, happens. I know you're a fan of the, the ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That was the best question of this whole, yeah. uh, this whole <laughs> session, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and then there's, there was one more. So with the pandemic, I had tickets to concerts, during the pandemic that still haven't happened yet. So yeah. there's a couple more coming around. The uh, Goo Goo Dolls I'm going to next Wednesday, those were tickets from summer of 2020. Yeah, I had a Enter Shikari, a, a British band, and they were coming in 2020, and I'm going in, I think, September. So when they're finally coming back. Yeah. So um, but Nothing like live music. Yeah, I, awesome. I missed that. That was yeah. the, the worst. But Totally um, agree. Anyway, so if uh, you are not a member of Action 22 and you'd like to be one, go to action22.org or email us at show at action22.org. If you have thoughts, comments, concerns, ideas about who you want to see on the podcast or here, if you're listening to this, um, again, just email show at action22.org. Being that it is election season, we have to throw this out every time. Um, Action 22 does not support or endorse candidates for office, but we do offer a platform for any Action 22 member that's running for office to come on, talk about their campaign, what they're about, the issues, whatever they want. So if you are a candidate and you're a member, email us. If you are a candidate and not a member, please join Action 22 and then send us an email and we'll let you come on here and talk as long as you want. Chad Worthman, I know you're listening. You haven't been on the show in a, quite a while. So that invitation goes out to you, even though you're not running a ballot this year. Um, and that's the reason for Mustache Gate. We'll see you guys all next week. <laughs> Thank you.
This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.